0: Do to them as you would do to yourself and have them do to you. Love them, really love them, genuinely love them. That's what Jesus has set us free to do. That's what he's saved us to do. That's what true freedom looks like. It looks like a life of love.
1: Welcome to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. And uh, Jonathan, I've never really heard of freedom defined in that way before, that true freedom. looks like a life of love. What do you mean by that?
0: Well, what Paul wants us to see here in Galatians 5, where we're going to be going today in the program, he wants us to see that as Jesus sets us free from obligation to the law, from obligation to any sense that we justify ourselves, as he sets us free through his death and resurrection, he gives us an opportunity to live a new way. And we ask, well, how are we meant to live? What are we, what are we set free to do? We've been, we've been removed from this prison and we now have opportunity to live in freedom. What does it look like? And he says, use your freedom to love one another. That's the goal of our salvation. And, uh, and what a beautiful goal that is. What an opportunity and what a delight uh, that he gives us.
1: So, Jonathan, you know, are we talking about believers within the church? Because I'm seeing so much uh, seemingly fracturing within our churches these days, Uh, some people who seem to be uh, very hostile towards one another, and it sounds like you're saying that this is something that we need to practice in our church today.
0: Well, I think we really do need to learn how to use this gospel freedom well in the power of the Spirit, if... if Christ has set us free so that we can love one another. I think we need to do some careful and hard thinking about what that'll look like in our own network of relationships, first of all within with believers, first of all within the Church. I think as Christians that's a huge part of our witness. And in a way— We can look back on ways in which we personally and we corporately have not done this well, probably of late. I think this is an era of some fracturing within the church where we need to learn again the lessons of gospel freedom and the lessons of love for one another. And that's uh, the Lord's great heart for us as his people.
1: Well, we're gonna look at this today from the book of Galatians, we're in chapter five, really focusing on the first 15 verses. So if you don't have a Bible open yet, you can grab one and join us there as we continue the message, True Freedom. Here is Jonathan. If you're
0: someone who watches the Olympic games, you may remember the Summer Olympics in Athens in 2004. You may in particular remember the men's marathon. It was a memorable event because at the 35 km mark, an Irish priest named Neil Heron jumped onto the course and pushed the front runner, Brazilian Vanderly de Lima, into the watching crowds and off his course. It was a dramatic moment. It was an awful moment. It was a tragedy for the runner who had spent years preparing for this race and disciplining himself for this race. It was a cruel thing for Heron to do, but it's not unprecedented. These things do happen at professional sporting events. Sometimes an angry or a mentally unstable person takes it upon himself or herself to stop runners from running their race. It happens in the world of professional sport. It happens in the spiritual realm as well. And Paul warns us against any teacher who would dare to disrupt any believer's spiritual race. At the same time as he warns us often, he also assures us that such a person's future is bleak. Verse 10, the one who is throwing you into confusion, says Paul, will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. The Lord takes it seriously whenever His people are threatened, confused, or hurt and God is the righteous judge, he won't forget. He won't just let it go. And Paul himself, well, he certainly has strong words for these false teachers. Some of the strongest words we'll actually ever hear the apostles say. Verse 12, as for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. It's a powerful statement that he makes there. It kind of jumps off the page, and it certainly tells us something about the strength of Paul's feeling here. This is a group of people, a a church for whom he cares a great deal. We heard in the previous passage of how he longs for these believers, and he's in the pains of childbirth for them again, that Christ may be formed in them. They're on Paul's heart. He cares a great deal. He's not indifferent. His language is certainly forceful here, but it's not unthinking language. It's not just a throwaway comment. Paul is making a significant point here in what he says. The book of Deuteronomy says that anyone who has been castrated may not enter the assembly of the Lord. They are excluded from the fellowship of God's people and from access to God himself. And Paul is seemingly saying here that he'd like to see these false teachers go the whole way and demonstrate that they are the real outsiders here. Remember, they've been saying anyone who isn't circumcised is an outsider, and Paul is saying no, Faith in Jesus makes you an insider. And so he says, if you're not believing that gospel and you're not preaching that gospel, you are an outsider. Interestingly, castration was sometimes practiced in pagan religions around this time. And Paul may well be hinting that he'd like these false teachers to demonstrate that they fit in perfectly well among the pagans, but not among the people of God. If they're denying the gospel, if they're teaching an alternative gospel, Well, they don't belong among the people of God. However exactly we take Paul's comment here in verse 12, in speaking of the exclusion these false teachers deserve and the judgment they will one day face, this much is very clear and thoroughly obvious from the text. Paul is telling us that false teaching really matters. It matters a great deal. He's telling us, warning us to stay right away from any false teacher. He's telling us that the stakes are high, and we cannot afford to be complacent. Of course, that is a very important reminder for us here today. We need to hear that reminder and to take it seriously. It's important for us to hear that and to take it seriously, because it's easy for us to imagine that listening to compromised teaching is a matter of small importance, a matter of indifference, We've got our TV preacher that we quite enjoy listening to. He's amusing. He's engaging. We know there's a bit of questionable doctrine in there. Yeah, we're aware of that. Some things that are pretty far off the mark. But he's got some good jokes. It's quite good entertainment on a Saturday night or whatever. And we're pretty sure we can filter out the bad stuff. We're discerning enough to do that. But Paul says no. Paul says be careful. The stakes are high. This person, if he or she is throwing you into confusion about the truth, well, this person is heading for judgment. This person is outside the people of God. This person is dangerous. Stay away from such a person. And actually, the influence of such teachers, it does spread very rapidly. It spreads faster than we might think, verse 9. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough however discerning we may imagine we are, it is very hard not to be influenced. It's very hard to filter out the error and the distortion. After all, if a preacher's on TV or is kind of popular, they're on TV or popular because, well, they're persuasive and they're engaging. In contrast to these false teachers, Paul now reminds us of the kind of teacher he is, remember that he's been discredited, he's been undermined, his reputation has been damaged, his integrity has been called into question. And so now he reminds us of his own character as a true teacher of the gospel, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, verse 11. Brothers, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. Compared to the message of the cross, the message of circumcision wasn't terribly offensive in Paul's day. Obviously, for uh, Jewish folk, it wasn't offensive at all. But added to that, it had a degree of acceptance and acceptability within the Roman world. Judaism was a recognized and at least to some extent a tolerated religion in the Roman Empire of Paul's day. But Paul wants to remind the Galatians that his message was sufficiently offensive to win him persecution. What was Paul's message? What did he preach? He preached a crucified Messiah. That was an offense to the Jews because they were waiting for a triumphant and a victorious king who would defeat the Romans. It was an offensive message to the Gentiles, to the Romans, because of course crucifixion was the most humiliating and degrading punishment they'd ever known. It was an offense to both Jew and Gentile, and yet it was Paul's message. But more than all that, the message of the cross is unbearably offensive to the proud human heart. It was then and it is today. It's offensive because the cross tells us very profoundly, very dramatically, that we've got ourselves into a situation that we cannot get ourselves out of. God Himself had to come down. God Himself, in the person of His Son, had to do something messy and painful and costly to save us from our own stupidity, to save us from the very judgment of God. And so the message of the cross, it is never popular. It's always offensive. And for Paul, it meant persecution. And of course, the dynamics, they haven't really changed. The message of the cross is still offensive to the proud human heart. Our wiring is just the same today as it was then. It's certainly not a message that is celebrated in our society. And in many places, it still leads to the persecution of God's people. Some of the most popular teachers on the Christian market at present may be teaching outright heresy, may well not be teaching the message of the cross at all. I guess we could probably find preachers and teachers with wildly popular broadcasts or huge book sales who actually, if we examine their message closely, we'd find very little of the cross in it, very little of the Savior crucified and risen again. They'd have sidestepped the offense of the cross and they'd have, well, embraced something a bit more palatable and a bit more popular as we look for teaching influences, as we choose book and video resources to use at home with our families or in our small groups, if ever we move from here and we're looking for another church, here's the encouragement from the Apostle Paul. Seek out teachers who will embrace scorn and opposition for preaching and teaching the offensive message of the cross.
1: You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. Our message today is called True Freedom. It's part of a larger series from the book of Galatians. The series is called Jesus Plus Nothing, and today we've really been looking at Galatians 5, verses 1 to 15, and seeing what true freedom looks like and how we can know if we're standing firm in that freedom. If you've missed any part of today's broadcast, you can always come to the website and listen to each and every program online. That's true if you can't stay with us through the end of the program as well. So if you ever miss a program or you just want to listen to it again, head to EncounterTheTruth.org, and there you can stream the program or download an MP3. Well, we're able to bring you Jonathan's teaching on the radio and online because of your generosity. So thank you to those who are giving and supporting this ministry. And if you're giving a gift this month, we're going to say thank you by sending you a book entitled True Friendship. It's written by Von Roberts and it's our way of saying thanks for being a friend of this ministry and giving a financial gift. You can give your gift online or find out more when you come to encounterthetruth.org or you can call us at 833 99 Truth. Again, our website is encounterthetruth.org and the phone number is 833-998-7884. Or if it's easier and you just want to drop a check in the mail, you can uh, mail that to Encounter the Truth, 2176 Prince of Wales Drive, Ottawa, Ontario, K2E 0A1. And make sure you ask for your copy of True Friendship. Well, let's get back to the message. Once again, here is Jonathan.
0: The person of true freedom, the teacher of true freedom, and finally, the lifestyle of true freedom, verse 13. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other." If you're a a theater fan, you may have heard that the musical adaptation of Victor Hugo's famous novel, Les Miserables, returning to Ottawa, it's a great story and it has a great beginning. You probably remember it. The year is 1815 and Jean Valjean has just been released from 19 years in prison for stealing a loaf of bread to feed his sister and her family. Valjean can't find anywhere to stay, anyone who will take in an ex-con. So he knocks on the door of the local kindly bishop, and the bishop takes him in and gives him a meal and a warm place to stay for the night. Valjean wakes up early in the morning and uh, decides that he'll raid the bishop's home and run off into the dawn. He takes all the silver where he can find, and he runs for it. The police soon apprehend him and drag him back to the bishop's front door and present him there to the bishop and say, is this cutlery, is this silverware yours? And the bishop says, it is, but I gave, I gave it to Valjean. Valjean, you should have taken those silver candlesticks as well, they're the most valuable pieces in the house. Why didn't you take them? And as he goes, he whispers in Valjean's ear, Valjean, you are to use this to make a new man and a new life for yourself this is given to change you Valjean with this silver I have bought your soul for God and the story wonderfully proceeds with Valjean living an entirely different kind of life he's transformed by grace it's it's a lovely picture it's perhaps not a very realistic one but it's a lovely illustration isn't it of a life transformed by a wonderful act of grace He's changed by the generosity of this kind bishop. I I mention it only because here Paul insists that grace has got to transform us. Grace has got to change us if we've really experienced it. He insists that we've been given freedom in order that we might live this different kind of life. And the different kind of life he calls us to live is quite simply a life of love, That's the key word here. That's the summary. Serve one another in love, says Paul. The entire law is summed up in this single command, says Paul. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's remarkable what strange and sometimes quite contrary creatures you and I can be. We can labor under a burden of sensing that we need to justify ourselves by our good works. We tie ourselves in knots over our failure and our sin, and our inability to be all that we're meant to be, all that God calls us to be in His law. But then we come to a new realization or to a fresh realization that Jesus has done everything necessary to secure our salvation. We're liberated from that burden. And almost immediately, we can turn to imagine that God actually, well, He doesn't care now what I do. It doesn't matter how I live. Jesus has set me free, hallelujah, and I'll live as I please. And no doubt Paul's opponents might read what he's been saying in Galatians up to this point and charge him with promoting lawlessness, with promoting ungodliness. If we're also free from the law, Paul, does that mean we can do whatever we want to do? Lying, stealing, adultery. Is that all legit now, Paul? Is that what your gospel tells us? And Paul's answer, of course, is as clear as can be. God still has expectations for His people. He still has requirements of His people. But these can all be summed up in one very simple way with one very simple word, love. Love, love your neighbor as yourself. Do to them as you would do to yourself and have them do to you. Love them, really love them, genuinely love them. That's what Jesus has set us free to do. That's what He's saved us to do. That's what true freedom looks like. It looks like a life of love. Legalism is, of course, a very unattractive thing. Many in this room will no doubt have encountered churches and Christian communities that are terribly legalistic, that place terrible burdens of right or ritual or rule or regulation on the people who belong to them. And it's a sad and it's an oppressive thing when that happens. It falls short of the gospel, it is a tragic truncation of the gospel. And throughout our series in Galatians, actually, if you've been here through it with us, we've been on the lookout for ways in which we might even fall into legalism here, and that's an important thing for us to do, to be on the lookout. But there is another kind of truncation or distortion of the gospel that is perhaps even worse, even more unattractive. And actually, in evangelical churches like ours, where we're so schooled in grace, I wonder if actually this is the bigger danger. And what I'm referring to, of course, is the message of the gospel of cheap grace the message that says that Jesus has done everything in order to secure our right standing before God. He's died for our sins. He's won heaven for us. And so if we've prayed a prayer or walked down the aisle at some point, we are now in the clear. Nothing to worry about. After the prayer, after the altar call, God isn't concerned with what happens in our lives. He isn't concerned with our behavior. Now, of course, grace is wonderful, and grace is free. But the danger is that we take that grace and we become so secure in it, we become so comfortable with it, that we forget that Jesus has saved us for a purpose. We forget that grace is designed to transform us. We forget that we have been set free for a reason. And the simple reason, the simple purpose, it is this, we are to love. Back at the end of verse 6, Paul summed it up very simply. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. That's what matters. That's what true faith will do. And actually, when we stand back from all this discussion about law and legalism and the Old Testament legal code... The simple point is so obvious, and Paul makes it here. The entire Old Testament law is summed up really in one single command. This is where the whole thing is heading. Love your neighbor as yourself. Paul knows how easily love can be forgotten, and love can be set aside for acrimony and aggression and discord. It happens even in churches, and so he sounds the warning of verse 15. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. The lifestyle of true gospel freedom, it is a lifestyle of love. That's how true faith expresses itself. Love should mark us as individuals. It should characterize us as a church family. But I do wonder this morning where it is that perhaps we need to ask forgiveness, forgiveness from the Lord for our failure to love. I wonder where we need to plead with Him for the help of His Spirit that we might love one another as He has called us to love, as He has liberated us to love. What does authentic gospel freedom look like? What's the profile? What are the true marks? What does the person of true freedom look like? Well, it, it looks like eagerly awaiting the righteousness for which we hope. What does the teacher of true freedom look like? Well, it looks like proclaiming the apostolic message of the cross, whatever the cost. What does the lifestyle of true freedom look like? It looks like serving one another in love. May God give us the grace individually and corporately to stand firm in true gospel freedom.
1: Jonathan Griffiths with the conclusion of our message today entitled True Freedom, where we've been looking at Galatians chapter 5 verses 1 to 15. And if you've missed any part of this broadcast, you can always go back to the website and listen online. The website address is encounterthetruth.org. that's encounterthetruth.org. You know, Encounter the Truth is a listener supported ministry. And as you give a gift to support this month, we want to say thank you by sending you a book from Von Roberts. It's called True Friendship. And Jonathan, why did you pick this book?
0: Well, I think this book is a real little gem. It's an easy read, it's not a long book, but it's full of practical wisdom for this whole theme of, of friendship. And actually, I think in our Social mediaized culture where we connect digitally and remotely with so many people, we can have tons and tons of connections, but maybe not very many friendships. And I think we're in an age actually of profound isolation on many fronts. And we human beings, we need friends. And if we're going to live the Christian life, we need friends who are going to walk shoulder to shoulder with us through the Christian life. And drawing on the wisdom of the biblical book of Proverbs, this little book, True Friendship, encourages us to think biblically about friendship. I think it will be an encouragement to you.
1: Well, we'd love to send you a copy of this book from Von Roberts, True Friendship, for your gift of any amount. You can give online by coming to encounterthetruth.org or call us at 833-99-TRUTH. That's 833-998-7884. Or again, the website is encounterthetruth.org. Well, thanks for doing that and for listening today. I hope you'll join us again next time.